The financial crisis back in 2008 is slowly fading from the memories of investors. But for those of us who lived and traded through it, it was a time where many important lessons were learned, usually the hard way. For many investors, it was a period that can best be described as an emotional roller coaster and where billions of dollars was lost by investment decisions driven by emotions. And in my hope to make sure that these lessons are not forgotten and wasted, today I want to share a story that I think many of us can relate to. So when I looked through my list of guests to pull a few key lessons from on this topic, I thought that Robert Carver, who spent many years at AHL before deciding to share his knowledge about systematic trading through his books and blogs, would be a perfect person. So sit back and relax and enjoy these unique takeaways from my conversation with Robert. And if you would like to listen to the full conversation, then just go to toptradersonplug.com forward slash 89 and also forward slash 90. I would kindly ask you maybe to read a little bit of the preface and then a little bit of the introduction to, to the book, if you, if you don't mind. Sure. Okay. I'm very bad at making financial decisions. Like most people, I find it difficult to manage my investments without becoming emotional and behaving irrationally. But this is deeply irritating as I consider myself to be very knowledgeable about finance. I've voraciously read the academic literature, done my own detailed research, spent 20 years investing my own money, and nearly a decade managing funds for large institutions. So, in theory, I know what I'm doing. In practice, when faced with a decision to buy or sell a stock, things go wrong. Fear and greed wash through my mind, clouding my judgment. Even if I've spent weeks researching a company, it's still hard to click the trade button on my broker's website. I have to stop myself buying or selling on a whim, based on nothing more than random newspaper articles or an anonymous blogger's opinion. But then, like you, I'm only human. Fortunately, there is a solution. The answer is to fully, or partly, systematize your financial decision-making. Creating a trading system removes the emotion and makes it easier to commit to a consistent strategy. I spent many years managing a large portfolio of trading strategies for a systematic hedge fund. Unfortunately, I didn't have the opportunity to develop and trade systems to look after my personal portfolio, but after leaving the industry, I've been able to make my own trading process entirely systematic, resulting in significantly better performance. Uh, and I'll read from the introduction. Sure. It was the 23rd of January 2009, and I was in my London office. Although I had a desk overlooking the Thames, I was usually too busy to appreciate the view. My day job was managing a portfolio of systematic trading strategies for a large hedge fund, but right now I was focusing on my own bank balance. Data was about to be released, indicating how the UK economy had performed in the last three months of 2008. It would be bad news the official confirmation that we were in recession, but nobody knew how bad. This didn't mean extra work for me, however, since a bank of computers would adjust our clients' portfolios automatically when the news arrived. 
So I decided to devote some rare free time to trade my own money. With a stressful full-time job, I was not a particularly active trader, but very occasionally an opportunity came up that was too good to miss. This was one of them. In my research, I found that historically, when people's fears were confirmed by terrible economic numbers, was often the best time to buy, and this was potentially the worst news I'd seen in my lifetime. Careful analysis showed that the banks, hardest hit by the financial crisis, should rebound the most if things improved. I was particularly attracted to Barclays. I traded for their investment bank a few years before, and their balance sheet was in relatively good condition. But I also looked at investing in the other major UK banks. In all, I was prepared to risk 10% of my portfolio on four banking stocks. Then the figures came out. They were worse than expected, with GDP falling by 1.5%. Barclays dropped 15% almost immediately, taking it to the lowest level I had ever seen. I waited for the market to stabilise, and prepared to trade. Then I hesitated. Everything had happened as expected. I should go ahead and buy. But what if this was wrong? What if the financial industry really was imploding, as everyone else seemed to think? Panicking, I quickly changed my orders, knocking a zero off each one, so that only 1% of my portfolio was at risk. It was one of the biggest mistakes of my investing career. Thanks very much, Rob. It's funny when you read that, you, 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 it, it really does take you back to that time of 2009, which was a, a scary time to be in, uh, in the investment world. Now, you've written a book about systematic trading, which normally involves a lot of math and equations in the real world. But you've managed to write a book with very little math being used. So why was this important to you to do it that way? The, the credit for this really has to go to my publisher. Okay. Um, when I, I sent the first draft of my first chapter to my publisher, and he came back saying, um, this is great, but by the third sentence, you lost me. <laughs> If you want to write a book that only, uh, you know, perhaps a few thousand people in the world can understand, mm. um, then that's fine. You know, we, we're prepared to do that. Obviously, you know, the, the, the kind of, there's the kind of an equation that uh, publishers use to do with size of audience, cost of book, length sure. of book, publication costs, and that all these things kind of get factored in together. Um, so at one extreme, you'd have a, you know, a highly specialized um, option pricing book that, that might sell, In, you know, in a good day, you might sell a thousand copies over its whole lifetime. Yeah, it'll cost you, you know, three figures to buy. Sure. And at the other end, you might have um, investing for dummies, um, which is probably going to be ten dollars and um, could could well sell hundreds of thousands or even millions of copies. Sure. Um, so he said, you have to think about whereabouts in the spectrum you want to pitch your book. And um, I very much felt that I wanted to um, speak to as, as large an audience as possible. Mm. Um, but um, so then, but then the publisher kind of came back again and said, "You know, you, you you're going to struggle, I think, to to bring your ideas down to the level where anyone on the street could understand them. So let's try and pitch it somewhere in the middle, and and that's where I've I've tried to do it. Mm. Um, I'm not sure how successful I've been because um, there's, there's a couple of reviews on Amazon.com 
One says, um, this is the first book you should buy when thinking about systematic trading. Which Another one says, um, this, you should probably read at least 10 other books before opening this one. <laughs> so, <laughs> opinion differs as to whether it, it, you know, it's, it's, um, it's as straightforward as you say, but I certainly did try and make it as accessible as I could and, and incorporate maths only when I felt it was absolutely necessary. I think you did a great job. And by the way, you know, having also put myself into the sort of public uh, light with this podcast, uh, you know, uh, comments and opinions and reviews they they are what they are and completely uncontrollable and and whatever mm -hmm. people whatever ha people had in their mind when they wrote them uh, you know that's how it comes out so i i i would focus on the on the good ones even though you can have a hundred good ones and one bad one and it's the one bad one you focus on isn't it it's uh, well that's true but in, in fairness both of those reviews were good reviews sure um it's just that the, they, they disagreed about how accessible the book was but sure. um I, i'm gonna judge take that as a kind of sampling error issue and uh, <laughs> assume that, that on average i'm somewhere in the middle which is something i'm comfortable with so. yeah no it's a great book absolutely now i want to start sort of digging into the book a little bit and and in the beginning you you start out by defining three types of investors namely the asset allocating investor the semi-automatic trader and the staunch systems trader i want you to tell me a little bit about each of them and why it's important to define them but i just want to be completely uh you know open here and say I actually, I'm not English by background, so I didn't know what the word staunch meant. And so <laughs> I, I looked it up and I'm, there may be other people on, on the show today, you know, listening and who have no idea. And so it comes out as saying very loyal and committed in attitude, you know, and it has all of these things. So, so now at least I, I learned something new very early on in the book, which is staunch means that you are very committed to your, to your strategy. So anyway, that was a digression here. Let's go back and, and, and you explain a little bit about the three types of investors as you see them. Okay, so um, again, in, in the interest of making the book more accessible, I didn't want the book to be read by people who just purely wanted to, to do what would normally be thought of a systematic trading. In other words, you, know, you have some rules that look at um, normally technical price patterns and then in, in a completely quantitative way, you know, decide what positions you, sh you should have as a result of of looking at those prices and then make the trades often automatically. Um, so that that's what a staunch systems trader is. It's someone who ha has an end-to-end -end process um, with you know, trading rules at the beginning that are completely systematic and then a position management framework that translates those into positions and trades and does all the risk management, which again is completely systematic. And then the trading at the end It can be automated, but the point is that you know you follow those trades religiously, and you, you never deviate from from them. So it's a system that that could be completely automated. Mm -hmm. um, now that's quite a narrow set of people, um, and not everyone um, is in a, um, a setup where or a kind of place themselves where they're comfortable with that. And it depends on whether you're comfortable with the idea that a relatively simple, hopefully set of trading rules can can actually predict what will happen to prices of financial markets. Mm. Um, now, not everyone signs up to that. Um, and I, I kind of identified two other groups of people who are out there. The first are people who think that, that humans are better than computers at predicting price movements. Um, and to be more specific, they think that they personally are better at predicting um, price movements than, than simple rules are. 
And this is what I described as the the semi-automatic trader. Okay. So the idea behind the semi-automatic trader is someone who still wants the freedom to say, I think that that um, Apple is a good buy, but I should be short Google. Mm-hmm. Um, but who then wants to take that opinion and put it into a, a systematic position management framework um, that will then decide how big their position should be, you know, when what size their stops should be, you know, when they should open positions, when they should close positions, how many positions they should have open, how you know how to manage holistically the risk of that. Um, because I I believe that the if you have a good position management framework in place, then how good your your um, your ability to forecast or how good your systematic trading rules are if you're the first kind of investor is much less important. Right. Um, to the extent that you can actually run simulations with completely random um, entries. So you, you basically simulate a trader who is no, no better than flipping a coin. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you then feed that into a position management risk framework that's set up correctly, that, that guy will still make money. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's partly because in the past we've seen trends in markets and if, if you're setting up a system where you've got fixed stop losses, um, then they will naturally tend to pick up on on trends. Um, but it, it's it's still an interesting finding. And if you then add in trading rules that, that do a, a, good, a good job of predicting where the market's going to go, that does add performance to your system, but not as much as you might expect. Sure. Um, so that's the second kind of person. Now, the third kind of person is, is a very miserable, uh, cynical person who thinks that no one can predict what will happen to to prices in financial markets. Um, and I call them the asset allocating investor um, because a, a kind of long-term um, buy and hold mentality um, is we often say, well, you, you can't pick stocks. You know, you, the best portfolio is to, to buy a, a selection of ETFs that give you exposure to different asset classes. Mm. Um, and then you, you basically say, you know what, I, I've got no idea what these things are going to do. I'm just going to buy all of them. Um, so that that's a perfectly valid point of view, and I run part of my own portfolio on that basis. Sure. Um, but then again, I still think there's value in in using a, a position management framework to say, well, that's fine, but you know, how should you account for the different risks of the different assets you're buying? How should you account for the correlations? Um, you know, how should you um, trade that portfolio? How should you rebalance that portfolio, given you've got a set of costs? So the challenge for me was to create um, what I call the framework, which is the sort of thing that in the middle between either a trading rule or a, a qualitative opinion or a, a stubborn, you know, buy and hold mentality. Um, and then that, that takes all of those opinions and, and kind of processes them in the same way and produces a set of positions. Mm. Uh, and that's what I, I've tried to do. That's it for today. And remember, if you want to listen to the full conversation with Robert, please go to toptradersonplug.com forward slash 89 and forward slash 90. Now, if you like this short clip from a past episode of the show, I'm pretty sure you'll enjoy the book I'm giving away right now. It's called The Many Flavors of Trend Following and it includes some of my best insights on this perhaps the most dependable and consistent yet often overlooked investment strategy. And you can get a free copy today if you go to toptradersonplug.com forward slash book and start your own journey in this investment 
field. Again, just jump over to toptradersunplugged.com forward slash book. And make sure that you subscribe to the podcast, of course, and either on iTunes or YouTube, where I will be back next week with more exciting and engaging conversations. Until next time, take care.